Hello, friends. Hello, spooky dookie friends. Wait. Spooky yuki. Wait, hang on. I'm still drinking tea. You're still drinking tea. Just keep talking. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Welcome to Spooky You Podcast. I am your host, Allie. And I am JP. <laughs> and here we love to talk about all things spooky, legends, lore, stories, and history. And history. Thank you. <laughs> uh, yeah, we uh, in the first episode, I think we called ourselves Spooky in the Brain. So if you can figure out which one's spooky and which one's the brain, then good for you. Hint, hint. Ali is wearing a pumpkin spice sweater. Excuse me? Do not diss the pumpkin. Oh, I'm not dissing. I'm just saying, <laughs> if you're going to figure out which one's spooky. Can you see my initials on the sweater? Oh, my goodness. Isn't Wait. that so cute? Wait, why is... Why does that say Allie PR Marie? Well, it's a, it's a monogram. So you, you put the uh, last name or like the last initial in the middle and then the middle and the, yeah. Oh, Which shoot. you know what's really funny is that mom would have the same, but it would be reverse. Oh, yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> Holy so that's fun. I was this year old when I realized that you guys shared all the same first letters Wait, of your hold name. on. Hold on. You legitimately didn't realize that mom and I had the same initials? I mean, I kind of. Except kinda... just like kind of reversed. Yeah, I mean, I always said them, but I never actually put you like, put oh, two and two huh. together. no, <laughs> especially because dad and I share no syllables other than our last one. name. Yeah. Well, I mean, let's be real. I mean, I would hope we share the same last name. Yes, you do. You do. Okay. Um, <laughs> we we had way too much fun in high school working with your initials and giving you the nickname Jarpajar. So. Oh, yeah. Uh, what was it? It was Jarpajar, Jarp, Jarpy. Carpet uh, Star. Uh, yes, Carpet Star. Um, <laughs> you guys set my home screen to that. Yeah, that was great, man. Um, Fun times at Quaker Valley. So uh, let's uh, let's dive into what we're talking about today, JP. Um, this was kind of a weird one because I actually requested you to not do a whole lot of research on it yeah i was not happy about that i know you weren't because you that's, love doing research that's the whole point i do this i love <laughs> research we do this. <laughs> so i yeah i specifically said to you i i want to read you a story so i guess we could call this Allie's story time um i want to read you a story i want to get your genuine reaction from it but today we are talking about the Dybbuk box. Oh boy. All right, everybody, buckle up here. This is a wild ride, everybody. But I will let you start, JP, with your research, your small little bit of research that I actually let you do. What is a Dybbuk? Right. So, to give some context to this, uh, Dybbuk is, or Dybbuk is Hebrew, and it basically means uh, cleavage of the soul. Oh. Uh, so, the idea of a Dybbuk is that um, it's a disembodied spirit of a human who essentially possesses another. This is the Jewish version of a possession. Um, like a horcrux? Uh, strangely, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Well. But I guess it. I, I, guess I more. It would I would be. more. I wish I could say horcrux because um, I really want to shoehorn Voldemort into this whole thing. But um, unfortunately, it's probably more Wait. along the lines of what? Hot take. Okay. The spirit of the Dybbuk box is actually Lord Voldemort. Wow, that would be a real hot take That would here. be a real hot take. I totally cut you off. I'm so sorry. Continue. Okay. Um, so it's, I say more along the lines of, um, oh God, okay, what was that one or two or five movies about possessions in a house in New England? <laughs> I thought you were talking at first about The Exorcist, but I think Ex that's it. Exorcist. Well, no, no, no. That's that's like the old movie. You know, that's it's older. I saw it a long time ago. Um, Mom and I watched it when we were in Myrtle Beach, oh. and we didn't realize we were watching it. Okay. But I think the movies you're referring to, I want to say The Conjuring. Is it, it maybe? I'm not. I'm I'm terribly sorry to the person who's bashing their head against the table right now who yeah. knows the answer but can't tell us. Please just email it to us, okay? Yeah. Just spookyupodcast at gmail.com. Be nice, please. <laughs> Correct us nicely. Okay, so <laughs> in a little bit more detail, uh, I got a lot of my information from the American-Israeli Cooperative Enterprise mm -hmm. uh, just because uh, I'm not Jewish, so I had to look up a lot of this stuff, and if I get it wrong, I apologize. Uh, so... Basically, some of the effects of Dybbuk's would be causing mental illness or uh, 
talking or living through the mouth of the person that they're possessing. Uh, basically, yeah, think think like small little girl, but talking with a man's voice. Oh, yikes. That uh, is disturbing. Yeah, so uh, the furthest back that could kind of trace stories of Dibicum were in the uh, time of the Second Temple or Talmudic period, about 538 to 515 BCE. Oh. Oh, that's um, way far back. Oh, yeah. But uh, strangely, not very prevalent throughout medieval culture. Likely, huh. probably likely because um, that was kind of the time where a lot of bad stuff happened to people of the Jewish faith. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh. Unfortunately, uh, for those of you who aren't too familiar with history, the Holocaust was not uh. the only time that uh, Judaism got the short end of a stick. Yikes. Yeah. Um, so starting on that note, uh, <laughs> basically, um, uh, in tall medical literature, there's, uh, also, well, uh, that defines, uh, Jewish law and belief. Okay. Um, for example, what constitutes not working on the Sabbath. Okay. So that's uh, just kind of like the, yeah, it kind of yeah. outlines what, how, um, what and how, uh, Judaism is practiced. Oh, okay. Actually, didn't uh, know that. That's pretty cool. Yeah, uh, it's and then also there's something called the Kabbalah, which is a form of Jewish mysticism oh. that dates back to about the 12th century. Huh. Uh, it has a unique interpretation of the Torah, and it's really cool because a lot of the Jewish faith is based on these kind of open discussions interpret of how things be- get interpreted oh. from the text. Uh, oh. That kind of differs from, say, Christianity, where a lot of times if there's different interpretations, you'd see a new denomination formed. For example, uh, Protestantism, Protestantism okay. is basically from protests, which came from uh, Martin Luther. Oh, actually, uh, I really didn't know that, so that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, so that's kind of a little bit... So Judaism is a little bit more open uh, to like discussions that. and different interpretations. Yeah. It's, yeah, really nice. But anyway, back to the spookiness. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this Always was the, spookiness. Uh, the idea of a Dybbuk was especially prevalent in 16th, 17th century Eastern Europe, which actually makes sense for uh, where the or- origins of the Dybbuk box come from. Oh, but yes, unfortunately, yes, yes. many historians do feel that uh, these ideas of possessions by Dybbuks were uh, misdiagnosed cases of mental illnesses, yeah. disease. Um, yeah. I, I could I can understand that. It's it's a kind of a depressing reality of some of the subject matter that we research but um you know it's it is also kind of interesting to think about too yeah and in case you're wondering sort of what kind of could get somebody um up on the chopping block for being possessed by a dibuk i'm curious uh, it's, you have piqued my interest oh well allow <laughs> me to explain <laughs> oh thank you so very often it was those who could be slightly maybe unfaithful, oh. kind of lacking in faith, oh. or uh, maybe had kind of sinned, would attract and open themselves up to possession by a dibuk. Oh, yikes. Uh, so it honestly did not take much. Like, we're not talking major sins here. We're talking just a little bit. Wait, are you serious? Yeah. Oh, and goodness. Unf- I don't like that. And, yeah, it's about to get worse. Oh, no. Um, so don't let it get worse. a good majority of possessions usually were young women nope nope Uh, don't like that and a lot of the possessions and the evil spirits were men yeah Mm. Mm. we're getting yeah Mm. don't like that what i mean i can't say anything else we're talking about evil spirit possessions it's gonna be bad this is not they're not being if you're possessing someone you are not a fluffy bunny no it this is like none of this is gonna be good (laughs) you are you probably straight up killed a guy in life (sighs) oh no okay well uh hopefully that gives kind of a rough idea of uh, what a dibuk is and a little bit of the history behind the concept. I would say definitely. Uh, one thing I will say that is very interesting is that looking through a lot of the text, uh, nothing really hinted that a spirit could possess an object. It was very much about uh, people. That's really interesting because the the specific spirit that we're talking about that has possessed this box or has latched onto this object, I'm wondering hot take uh is this spirit possibly so evil so vile so foul that it could not possess a human like it was not good enough to possess a human does that even make sense am i talking sense i mean am i talking words of sense 
you are you are speaking words in a coherent sentence. <laughs> so, okay, so we're at a good starting yes. point. <laughs> now, as we continue to talk about subjects uh, far exceeding our knowledge and expertise. Yeah, we have no idea. Um, I mean, based on what I've seen, it kind of seems like you got to be pretty evil to even not be able to get into the afterlife. Well, I guess if you think about it, Lord Voldemort was so evil that he split his soul into seven pieces. Oh. And maybe, maybe the Dybbuk is Lord Voldemort. Hot take. I mean, I would probably have... <laughs> <sighs> uh, probably not. Yeah. Well, I don't see okay. the time. Only because the timeline doesn't match up. Uh, no other reason. Fair. There is no other reason that is not possible other than the timeline. I appreciate that you are only debunking my theory because of the timeline. Yes, there is absolutely <laughs> no other reason Lord Voldemort could not be the Dybbuk in real life. Oh my god. Well, hey, let's get into the actual story. Are you ready for a story? Wait, hang on. All right, I'm buckled up. Let's do this. All right, well... I am going to tell you the legend that was written by Kevin Manis. So Kevin Manis was one of the owners of the Dybbuk box. I believe he was, I guess technically he was the second owner of the Dybbuk box, but the first one to really write about his experiences. So I'm just going to dive right into it. And um, I am excited for your reactions, JP. Okay. So, <laughs> so the term Dybbuk box was created by Kevin Manis. Uh, he used it to describe a haunted wine cabinet for an eBay auction. So I was able to find the original listing that's paired with this truly horrifying story of just how evil and scary this object is. Before we get into the evil and scariness, I love the fact that this horror thing comes straight to us from eBay. Yeah, right? That's, I mean, it's just, it's so beautiful. Um, but what I'm about to share with you, JP, it is the original eBay posting written by him. I mean, I've, you know, kind of summarized it a little bit, but I'm making sure I hit all of the details. But in the listing, he says he will verify its authenticity with copies of hospital records and sworn affidavits. Uh-oh. <laughs> Uh-oh is the right word to describe this so he begins by saying he attended an estate sale in portland oregon the items at this estate sale belong to a woman who passed away at age 103 so she she lived a long beautiful life wow and wait who was she um you know what i think that she did have a name but i don't believe the posting had a name um Okay, because the only thing I found on that was Havela. Yeah, I did. I did ask Havela. you to do a little bit of research on her because uh, the granddaughter actually told Manis that her grandmother, so this is the woman who passed was the grandmother, was born and raised in Poland where she grew up, got married, and raised a family until um, she was sent to a Nazi concentration camp during World War II. Um, oh, boy. She was the only member of her family to survive the camp. Her brother, her parents, her sister, husband, two sons, and daughter were all killed. She survived by escaping with some prisoners and making her way to Spain, where she acquired the small cabinet. This small cabinet was one of three items she brought with her when immigrating to the U.S. The other two were a steamer trunk and a sewing box. Now, given her history... Um, of being involved in, you know, World War II. Well, I don't know. That's not the right word. Uh, well, being she, a victim of the Holocaust. Yes. Yeah, uh, thank you, JP. You said that much more eloquently than I did. Um, I did ask you to do a little bit of research on that because I know that that is a portion of history that is particularly fascinating to you. So yeah, take I've it been, away, my dear brother. Yeah, I've been doing kind of World War II era stuff since basically I was wee little. Uh and so one of the things that was kind of a little bit confusing about this was sort of the timeline. And a lot of the research I did varied on whether she fled before uh, the Germans invaded in 1939 or whether she was actually in a concentration camp because they didn't – the camps weren't set up initially right when they invaded. Yeah. Uh, they came on much, much later. Before that, it was corralling, uh, corralling Jews into ghettos or uh. – 
just straight up going into towns, having the, I guess you could say the equivalent of the magistrate or officials uh. giving the records of who was Jewish and then just shooting them. Oh, that's so horrible. Yeah. Oh, and, my gosh. Or having them dig the holes. In. Oh, no, no. No. Okay. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry, people. That's just that is so horrific and horrendous. It's I. Mm. There's honestly worse, and I just didn't even want to go into that right yeah, now. Yeah, that's that's something. Um, so we don't want to talk about. I mean, now the interesting thing too is that uh, on top of invading Poland, the Germans then uh, later on uh, would launch Operation Barbarossa. Oh, uh, which what's would, that? That is the invasion of the Soviet Union. Oh. Now, that made, first of all, being Jewish in Poland or Soviet-controlled territory, it was really take your pick. None was very good. But when the Germans started pushing uh, into the Soviet Union, really the best place you had to go was further into the Soviet Union, which is where a majority went. Okay, interesting. Uh, So... Now, according to the story of the Dybbuk box, she fled into Spain, which yeah. was... kind of going the opposite direction, yes. isn't it? I don't yep. have a map in front of me, but I, I'd like to think I'm semi-smart. Nope, it is. you are right. It's in the opposite direction. Yes. And not only that, you would have to cross the heart of Axis territory. Oh, and no. According to some statistics I have, or numbers, approximately 30,000 Jews were allowed in Spain between 1939 and 1941. Oh. And... As the war went on, it got even smaller to about 7,500 oh. uh, were helped by the Spanish during the war. Oh, no. Most were from France. Okay. Now, the thing you have to understand is while France, or while, not France, Spain was neutral during the war, they were a bit more sympathetic to the Nazis after, uh, I think it was Franco gained support in his um, dictatorial takeover of Spain during the uh, Spanish Civil War just before World War II. That was where the Germans actually got a lot of practice in with their blitzkrieg tactics. Oh, you're like literally blowing my mind right now because I honestly did not know this about history. I did not yes. pay attention to history class in high just, school almost 10 years ago. Yeah, well, I thought you had a, I thought you had Moxie. No, I did not. Okay, well, he was a very cool teacher. Yeah, I had him for IR and mythology. Ah, well, um, basically what you need to know was that getting somebody getting from Poland to Spain during the war when the concentration camps would have been active mm-hmm. would have been damn near impossible, especially the only route I've heard was uh, through Hungary where a Spanish ambassador had taken it upon himself to go against uh, Spanish law and international law and create false passports for Jews to escape into Spain. Oh, hell yeah. Uh, this was... You can count the hundreds of people, and hey, it only takes one. I mean, yeah, and that's it. It, it took the one to get us the story. Yes, and especially, I'm very curious exactly how she managed to get over. She essentially, if she was escaping a concentration camp, which is not unheard of, she would yeah. have basically been on the run. She would wow. have had nothing, and it very much frustrates me that of all the things of this Dybbuk box story, this of potentially what people claim is a woman who escaped a concentration camp somehow not only managed to successfully flee and evade capture because you also had the uh, were they called the Einsgruppen? I have no idea. Uh, Basically they were roving Gestapo death squads. I don't even know what that is. Uh, Basically they were uh, roving squads of SS troops whose specific job was to hunt down and murder Jews. Oh yikes. Yeah. I mean we're talking Holocaust. There's nothing. None of it's good. Uh, so basically of all that we do not have a good we do not have a good paper trail to who the grandmother was and where she came from despite what sounds like one of the most it sounds like an incredible story it does but we do not have a lick of paper trail i looked up the holocaust museum i tried to search records i could not find anything I mean, there's probably a reason behind that, at least from what you're telling me about how difficult it was. And I mean, truly just she was running for her life. So it sounds like I I wish we knew the story because it sounds amazing, like just to hear her experience and what she went through. But as of right now, we have a story of Kevin Manis who purchased her item, which is supposedly from her account, from Kevin's account very haunted so you ready to keep going 
Yep. Uh, <laughs> let's get back to the present and keep going with uh, Kevin and eBay. Alrighty. So uh, when Kevin went to the estate sale, he purchased also her sewing box, some pieces of furniture, and the Dybbuk box. Uh, the granddaughter approached Manus and said, I see you've got the Dybbuk box. Uh, the granddaughter shared that as she was growing up, her grandmother kept the box in the sewing room out of the reach from the kids. When asked what was inside the box, the grandmother spit three times through her fingers and said, a Dybbuk and a Kesselim, and told the granddaughter to never open the wine cabinet. Yeah. Huh. Okay. <laughs> uh, the grandmother had originally requested that the box be buried with her. However, due to the rules of an Orthodox Jewish burial, her request was not honored. Now, this was the last point that I asked you to research uh, based on the history. So can you kind of go in a little bit as to why she couldn't be buried with the box? Yes. So uh, according to my research, uh, Jewish Orthodox is a more strict belief in the Torah and that it that the Torah is literally as the word of God. And it's a very conservative minority of the Jewish faith. Okay. In some cases, uh, this minority still even believes that they are the truest form of the Jewish faith. Okay. And uh, basically, they believe in very minimalist and simplicity. Mm. And to avoid embarrassment of the poor, oh. um, they tend to try and keep their funerals uh, very plain and very basic. Okay. So I guess that that would, yeah, she wouldn't be able to bury what could be considered maybe. Worldly possessions. Yeah, with her. Okay. that Hey, that makes sense. So after learning really the sentimental value that this box had, uh, Kevin Manis tried to return the box because it seemed like such an important item to the family, but the granddaughter refused. Uh, Manis didn't want his money back. He was just doing it out of an act of kindness to give the family their special item back. But the granddaughter appeared to become very upset, claiming that he bought it. He made a deal. He needs to keep it. She began to cry and yell, saying they didn't want it and asked him to leave. Manis wrote it off his grief and left. Considering the history that we just went over that this box came from and the grandmother, I don't blame her for wanting to get rid of it. I do not either. Um, but I'm wondering if she had said something to Kevin, if he would have kept it for as long as he did. But again, that's kind of like hindsight. But let's keep going. So at the time that uh, Manus bought the cabinet, he owned a small furniture refurnishing business. He took the cabinet there, put it in the basement where he intended to refinish it and give it as a gift to his mother. Uh, he then left to run some errands, leaving a young female employee in charge of the store. A half hour goes by and Manus receives a call on his cell phone from his employee. And she is absolutely hysterical. She's screaming that something is in the basement uh, workshop. It's breaking glass and swearing. In addition to that, the intruder has locked the iron security gates and the emergency exit. So she was trapped. Yeah. Wow. She was trapped. As Manus tried to tell her to call the police, his phone went dead. He raced back to the store and found the gates were locked and his employee was on the floor in the corner of his office, sobbing. He ran to the basement. As soon as he got to the bottom of the stairs, he smelled the overwhelming and unmistakable scent of cat urine. He did make a point what? in the eBay list. Yeah, cat urine. <laughs> but at this point, so he made a point in his listing to say that there had never been any animals found or kept in the shop. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So right there, you're like, okay, this is this is not good. You know, I'm just quick wondering, I wonder what the OSHA regulations say about keeping a uh, possessed demonic object inside your place of work. There really should be a subsection on that. Yeah. <laughs> so um, he tried to flip the lights on, but none of them worked. He quickly realized the lights didn't work because all of the light bulbs had broken, which explained the sound of breaking glass the employee heard. All nine incandescent light bulbs had broken in their sockets and 10 four-foot fluorescent tubes were lying on the floor, shattered. At this point, Manus tries to find the intruder, but is unable to do so. He points out that there was only one way in and out of the basement, and either he or his employees would have seen someone come in or out. I gotta, I gotta say, with all these cages and single exits, this place sounds like a real workplace hazard, even without a you demonically know, possessed it box. It kind of does, but... Osha, where are you? Yeah, what's going on here, guys? 
Um, so his employee left after that day and refused to come back to work. And this is after two years of working with him and she refuses to talk about it to this day. Like they didn't even, they didn't name her in the uh, listing at all, which obviously privacy reasons. Fair. Um, so then it gets worse. As we know by now, the box was intended as a gift for his mother. After two weeks, wow, two weeks after purchasing it, uh, he began refurbishing it. He found the box had a fun little mechanism that allowed the doors and a small drawer to open at the same time. Once he opened the cabinet, this is what he found inside. Okay, you ready for this? Yes. One 1928 U.S. wheat penny. One 1925 U.S. wheat penny. One small lock of blonde hair bound with string, one small lock of brown hair bound with string, one small granite statue engraved and gilded with Hebrew letters that spell Shalom, one dried rosebud, one golden wine cup, one strange black cast iron candlestick holder with octopus legs. Uh, wait, so were there two wheat pennies? There were two wheat pennies, that's correct. They were different years. I wanted to specify the year. Okay. And I'd like this... to point out no wine was in this wine cabinet. Well, actually, I feel like that's for the best. If he drank that, I'm not sure I'd, I'd like demonically possess that's wine. That's actually a very good point. Yeah. <laughs> um, so he intended... I've drank to... in Forensia. It's not good. That's, a, you know, that's like college drink for me. I know. I feel like that's what demonic uh, demonic <laughs> oh wine would God. taste like. <laughs> JP. <laughs> Anywho. Oh, okay. So, um, yeah, he retended. Wow. Apparently, I can't talk after that. He intended to return these items to the estate. However, they refused them. So the items were listed in the eBay sale along with the cabinet. Oh, it's sold as a set. Once he opened the box, he decided not to refinish the box. He cleaned it and rubbed it with some lemon oil. At this point, he noticed an inscription in Hebrew on the back, but didn't find out what it said or what it meant. And there wasn't like it didn't have it. So yeah, he didn't check. Yeah, this was back before we had Google to do Hebrew to English translations. Correct. So his mother's birthday was October 28th, and this was in the year 2001. Uh, she was going out of town with some friends, so they decided to celebrate when she got back on October 31st. Oh boy, this is not good. The two were going to lunch, but before they left the store, he gave her the cabinet. As she was looking it over, he left to take a phone call. His employee came running to him, saying something was wrong with his mom. When he got back to his mom, she was sitting in a chair beside the cabinet, completely expressionless, but with tears streaming down her cheeks. Manus tried everything to get his mother to respond, but she would not. She could not. His mother had suffered a stroke. Holy crap! The ambulance came and took her to the hospital. She ended up suffering partial paralysis and losing her ability to speak and form words. He stated in the listing that she would go on to regain her ability to speak. Uh, she could understand what was being said to her at the time and responded by pointing to letters of the alphabet, like on a board, you know, to spell out words. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of thinking like um, from that one uh, Matt Damon movie with, uh, oh, The Martian. Oh, I actually haven't seen that. Is that good? Yeah, it's good. Oh, nice. Uh, when she asked, or well, <laughs> when she was asked how she was doing, she spelled out the word N O G I F T. At first, Manus thought she had forgotten he gave her a gift for her birthday, so he assured her that he did. She became upset at this and spelled H A T E G I F T gift. In the listing, Mana says he laughed at this and said he would get her anything she wanted if she promised to get well soon. Obviously, at this point, he hasn't realized that the box caused this, so please don't think he's being heartless. He truly, it at the time, did not know. I was about to say, because at this point, if I was a mother, I'd say you owe me a very big bundle of flowers yeah. for the next gift or a very nice car for the next gift after that. <laughs> or a chocolate milkshake. <laughs> yes. Preferably uh, one that is light on demonic possession. Yes, correct. But yeah, truly... Uh, at this point, like Kevin did not know that the reason behind what had happened to his mother, or at least from what he believes was uh, from this box. So 
At this point, uh, he gives the box to his sister, but she gives it back after a week, claiming the doors won't stay closed. He looked the box over and found no spring mechanism inside it. Huh. So basically, they should stay closed. You know, it's kind of weird that all these things are happening around him and nothing was really happening to him. Don't worry. We have more. Oh, boy. Wow, this box is very evil. He then gave it to his brother and his brother's wife. Uh, his brother claimed it smelled like jasmine flowers, but the wife said it smelled like cat urine. They returned it two days later. So yeah. remember, JP, at this point, he has not lived with the box. Like, when he gave it to people, there was an intent to give, or they were living with the box in their house. Yeah, I feel like that after a while, you start to notice a pattern here. Well, don't worry. You're... you're I see the wheels turning in your head, and you are right oh, yeah. on they're, with this, they're, they're clicking like a locomotive right now. <laughs> uh, so then he gave it to his girlfriend, who asked him uh, to sell it. Wow. Apparently, I can't read. He then gave it to his girlfriend, who asked him to sell it for her after only two days of having it. He sold it to a nice middle-aged couple that same day. Then three days later, he found it sitting at the front doors of the shop with a note that read, This has a bad darkness. Sorry, uh, the computer wanted to sleep for a second. Uh, this has a bad darkness. He didn't know what the note was referring to, so he took the cabinet home. Uh, how do you not notice by this point? You've given it to your entire family. You've caused a stroke, cat piss. And well, remember, he like didn't really put two and two together. Two and yeah. two? This is like putting one and one that are blinking. Okay, JP. With an outline of the two <laughs> after the equal sign. And then things continued to get worse. Of course they did. <laughs> the day he brought it home is the same day he began having reoccurring nightmares. His nightmares were of him walking with a friend, someone he knew well and trusted. At some point in the dream, he would look into their eyes and find something evil looking back at him. At this point, uh, the person that he was with would morph into what he described as a gruesome, demonic-looking hag. The hag would then proceed to beat the crap out of him to the point where he would wake up and find bruises and marks on his physical body where the hag had beat him the night before well you got to keep your guard up man dip dodge you gotta step to dip, the left dodge duck du and dodge, dodge. <laughs> uh he says in the listing that at this point he still has not connected the strings and happenings uh to the cabinet so again you never know man when I you're in the situation never, hindsight's twenty twenty. There is a common denominator here. You've given this box to everybody, and everyone has complained about it. Well, don't worry, because it's about to click. So as time passes, he and his sister and brother and brother's wife, they're all over, uh, spending the night together. And at breakfast, his sister begins to tell everyone about the dream she had the night before. She proceeds to describe the exact nightmare. And at this point, the brother and his wife speak up and say they've also experienced the exact same nightmare. They all sit and talk and realize the common denominator. Finally, they all had this dream when the Dybbuk box was in their house. Manus called his girlfriend to see if she had also experienced the same dream. She was able to recount every detail down to the hag that beat her. Manus see, asked if the dream occurred the night before she gave the box back to him, and she confirmed it did. See, what I'm wondering here is if any of them had any sort of like fighting experience. I'm imagining like the hag attacking. And then they going up with a box guard and they're like dodging the punches or dodging the swipes, countering with a good hook with a jab cross one two combo. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm imagining like a back and forth here with the hag. Somebody? No. Um, You mean like that episode of Parks and Rec where they're doing the 24 hour um like telethon or whatever yes and ron swanson's and ron sleep fighting to sleep yep. sleep yep. yes <laughs> that's I'm, what i started to picture in my head yes i'm imagining <laughs> that right now so um after the family realized the dybbuk box was causing all the problems things escalated it seems after the box was realized the true evil nature was unleashed by the malevolent spirit so manis began seeing dark shadowy things in his peripheral vision even visitors in his house had seen them he put the cabinet in a storage unit and was awakened in the middle of the night by the smoke alarm in the unit going off, but there was no fire. He opened the unit to no smoke, 
but it did smell like cat urine. He went back to his house and it smelled of cat urine as well. Uh, he claims that he has never owned a cat. And I mean, obviously he would not put a cat in a storage unit. Yeah. So that would just be a dick. That would, yeah, that'd be a, no, absolutely not. Um, so he brought the box back inside and began doing research, uh, fell asleep and he had the same nightmare. He woke up around 4.30 to what felt like someone breathing down his neck. His house smelled like jasmine flowers and a huge shadow thing moving down the hall away from him. Oh my God. <laughs> he was afraid that destroying the cabinet would unleash whatever was bound to it and it would stay with him. So at this point, uh, he ends the story. That's it. And wow. he did have a couple of answers to some commonly asked questions that he received with this listing. So number one answer was, uh, no, he is not religious. Okay. Number two, he did not want to participate in any exorcism or case study. Number really? three, really. Number three, uh, he would only sell it as a set. Number four, he does not speak Hebrew or know what a Kesselam means, which we don't either, so email us. Uh, number five, at the end of the auction, he will speak with the winning bidder for two reasons. One, to see if the person is a serious adult and has a valid has valid reasoning skills to make the decision to accept this into her home, his home, their home, them. And two, how to have it delivered. Lastly, he accepted and appreciated all offers to pray for him and his family. This listing was on June 14th, 2003. Wait, it took two years for him to figure out that this thing was bad news? Well, you got to think. I, I mean... First of all, we don't know. Well, it was the end of 2001 when he acquired this thing. Okay, so about yeah. a year, year and a half to figure out this thing was bad news. Uh, yeah, and I would say, like, you know, he sold it. It was gone for two weeks. You know, it was spending weeks and time here and there. And it doesn't sound like this thing was active all the time to the point where, you know, they really put two and two together because it took him a minute. And it took, you know, the family a minute to say, oh, this this is why all of this stuff is happening, which I feel like that happens, you know, because like sometimes your mind doesn't go right to the paranormal. Yeah. Also, I love how the first thing with the questions are, all right, do you understand that you are purchasing a demonically possessed box, which will cause unknown horrors and terror to you and your family and loved ones for all years to come? Well, you do. And know, second, you do know that there is a huge market for haunted items on the Internet, right? Oh, I know, but I just love how it was that and just making sure that everyone was acutely aware of this evil thing that they were purchasing. Why and are then you second, talking so low? Because I was going to get to the punchline. <laughs> you keep interrupting me. I do keep interrupting you. I was going to say, in second, ground or air. Oh, my God. Um, so he left the potential buyer with this. Activity had quieted down until Friday, June 13th. 2003 when he found all the fish which there were 10 of them in his freshwater aquarium had died oh wow yeah so that's i mean that's pretty bad yeah so that is the story of how kevin manis acquired the dybbuk box and then got the dybbuk box off of his hands and we're gonna go into that uh when we talk about jason haxton Okay, so wait, wait, wait. He did actually get somebody to purchase this thing, correct? Surprisingly, yes, he did. Um, the next owner of the box is Jason Haxton. Uh, he claims to have also experienced paranormal activity with the box, but he claims that it had an anti-aging effect on him. Uh, I, I mean, okay. Yeah, yeah. sure. I, I guess every now and then, you know, you got to throw your um, victims a bone here. Yeah, seriously. So he claims to have experienced welts and hives when he first got the box, even so much as to coughing up blood and choking, um, which that's very serious and to me not anti-aging, but that's fine. Um, he claims to have seen lights and shadows around the box and that touching him puts him... Wow. No. Touching it, the box. Oh, goodness. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> touching the box. What? I apparently I can't read anymore and it's okay. No, 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 no. That was great. I love that. <laughs> touching. It was touching what? Touching the box. Okay. Puts him in a quote unquote liquid state. Uh, 
Are you saying that he melts when he feels the touch of the box? Apparently. Oh my goodness! Maybe this is why I had the anti-aging effect. Oh, that. Oh, okay, JP. This is true love. <laughs> <laughs> so Haxton took a very academic approach with the box by getting help from scientists paranormalists, cabalists, and Wiccans to try to help get a better understanding of what was inside. See, the fact that you mentioned cabalists makes me feel very good about my research. Yeah, no, you, dude, your research is good. I liked it. It was, I mean, I think everything that you research about history is, like, freaking fascinating because it's learning for me. Oh, well, um, thank you. You're welcome. Uh, <laughs> he believes that the box and what is in it is neutral. And it plays off of the energy of who it comes in contact with to reveal its truth. It will need to seek the right owner to help it. I kind of feel like the stories of Kevin Manis would beg to differ. Well, okay. And the fact that we talked about Divix are inherently evil. Yes, yes. Um, one thing I will say almost as like a counter, but not really completely disagreeing with you, is some people in Kevin Manis's story described as smelling jasmine flowers from the box, while some people described cat urine. Hmm. So I'm wondering if... Haxton makes a point of like hey you know maybe that there is a group of people or like a sector of people that actually could help whatever is attached to this box move on and maybe they smell something sweet as opposed to smelling something foul although that would be that kind of an interesting and I'll get into this a little bit later about a theory that I've started to form about maybe this being a misinterpretation but mm. let's but we'll get back we'll get to that at the end so um, Haxton kept the box in an acacia wood arc lined 24 karat gold. So basically in a really special box. And he put it in his den to keep it subdued. But he also admitted to putting it in a military grade shockproof container that he left somewhere in his massive yard. Okay, well, I'm, think I'm kind of getting some Emperor's New Grooves vibes here. I'm going to take that box and I'm going to put it in a nice shiny box. I'm going to take that nice shiny box and I'm going to put it in a blast-proof resistant thing. box. And then when I'm digging it up, I'm going to not smash it with a hammer because I don't want to get possessed. Wow, I forgot that entire sequence of the movie. Thank you so much for bringing that back into my life. That's why I'm here. So yeah, so that was uh, that was Jason Haxton, the wow. third owner of the box. So that box came out of the other box. It was in another box that came out of that box and yes. it came out of the ground. Yes. Okay, cool. Yes and yes. And, uh, JP, do you know who currently owns the Dybbuk box? Uh, no. No, actually, I don't. Do you want to know? Uh, sure. Zach Baggins. Wait, that name sounds familiar. Oh, you know Zach Baggins. Okay. We've watched Ghost Adventures together. Oh, that dude. <laughs> yes, that oh, dude. Oh, okay. Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> was he the, uh, okay, was he the, um, was he the one lanky side guy? Which one? The not the bald guy. No, that's Aaron. Okay, that poor dude. He, I know. I feel I, so bad for him. Yeah, but they we're gonna get to into the worst parts. We're gonna get into that because oh, the he was box, the uh, he was the sh uh, spiky brown hair. Yes. Okay. Yeah, spiky I brown know, hair guy. Yeah, now I know who you're talking about. <laughs> that's okay. I do feel like we need to watch this episode after we record this, but. Anyway, so Zach Baggins is the current owner of the Dybbuk box. He has it stashed away from the public where you have to sign a waiver in order to see it. One I person, don't blame him on that part. Oh, I don't either. One person did get to see the Dybbuk box and was with Zach Baggins when he touched it for the first time. Do you know who that person is? Post Malone. Dude, how did you know that? Lucky guess. That is a really lucky guess. Yes, it is Post Malone. <laughs> <laughs> so after being exposed to the Dybbuk box, Post Malone experienced what can only be described as curse-like instances. His private plane was forced to do an emergency landing after a tire blew off. Okay, not too unusual. Do you have a private plane? No. Then that's unusual. Three armed robbers targeted a home that was believed to be his. And his Rolls Royce was involved in a serious car accident. Uh, okay. I mean. Kind of coincidental. Know. Yeah. I mean. Or, so, wouldn't yeah. you, or would you mean, you know, not such a coincidence? Maybe not. I don't know. Well, did, I, did I not use that word right? Uh, coincidental is when things just kind of happen. It's like, oh, wow. That was strange. That, oh, what a coincidence shit, that right. this all happened together. 
So I think you're looking for uh, That's incredible. That's why you're the brain. I think you're looking for coincidence. I think not. <laughs> what the hell (laughs) incredible this is why you're the brain and i am the spooky bring Um, it home spooky the latest news on the dybbuk box is actually happening kind of currently wait what thing in 2020 uh it is set to be featured on a mini series called ghost adventures quarantine son of a bitch where zach and his team are isolated in his haunted museum ready to dig into their artifacts and find out what is not resting in the afterlife god damn it dude why could you not wait another year i wrote this back in june and I believe that everything is out now, but I haven't actually watched it. So I did not do my due diligence. Okay, so but we're going to have... I mean, I'm not sure there's more else we can learn from this thing. Oh, there is. Because it was on Ghost Adventures, Deadly Artifacts. Oh, yeah, that's right. Oh, yeah. I watched that episode. I wanted to watch it with you after this, but like, I watched the episode on my own. Yeah, hey, you showed me it. Did I show you Yeah, it? we watched it. Oh, well, then we need to just watch it again to celebrate. Um, it starts with Jason Haxton claiming that he owns the most haunted object in the entire world, and he has kept it buried and away from the public for the past five years. So I'm thinking this was probably around the time that Jason either gave or sold the box to Zach Bagans. So obviously, if you've watched Ghost Adventures, you know how beautifully dramatic the show is. Um, as yes. It's just, it's amazing. As Jason is explaining a very short history about the box, uh, which we've already discussed, you see Zach Baggins ominously pacing in the poorly lit room, knowing what he's about to encounter. And they're bringing in Kevin Manis, who owned the box before Haxton. Oh, Uh, man, that poor dude. I feel I do feel really bad for him. But at the same time, I feel like there was a part of him that probably wanted to kind of like close that chapter of his life. Yeah. And I mean, also, there's if he did kind of make the story up, there's kind of a good money deal there, too. Okay, JP. Sorry, I, I, I had to kind of explore that avenue. No, I know. that's hey, that's I, I think that's fair. I do think it's fair. Um, so Haxton claims that bringing the box to Vegas is the first time that it has been out of Missouri since its arrival twelve years ago. Hmm. So he has owned the box for twelve years and he kept it locked away for five. But what I want to know is how did he travel with it? Like, did he fly? Did he drive? I I would not trust putting that thing on a plane. Personally, I would have just given it to the post office, see what happens. <laughs> oh, no. I mean, things already get bad enough through there. I'm pretty sure that, you know, they didn't notice. No, probably not. No. So um, as Zach and Haxton are discussing the box, Haxton claims when he first touched it, he felt an intense pain in his stomach and puked up some kind of ectoplasm substance. Well- yeah. What? I don't even know. He says he felt uh, pain like it was stabbing him in the gut. And he also claims that his eyes were bleeding on the same day he touched the box. So I'm surprised he didn't call the hospital at this point. Yeah, Holy he really hell. should have gone to the hospital. Yeah. Which when you think back about what he said that the box was like anti-aging, um, what part of that is anti-aging? No, that all sounds horrifying. Actually, that sounds very <laughs> like really anti-living. Horrible. Yeah. <laughs> so, of course, uh, Zach is asking if the box is deadly and evil. And, of course, at this point, they're interviewing Haxton and Manus at different times. And neither of them are definitively stating if the box is evil or horrible or whatever. But Manus does bring to light that a man actually passed away sitting in a chair in Haxton's basement right next to the Dybbuk box. Which Jason Haxton fails to bring up in the episode. Okay. Again, I don't know if this is like editing or if they prompted anything, but like it was just really weird, like how it was brought up. So, like, I highly suggest everybody just go watch it because it's just, it's unique. Um, at this point in the show, Zach asked the men to go into an isolation chamber and sit with the Dybbuk box so they can see if they can get any sort of paranormal reaction from the box. And in their own words, conjure negative energy which of course is a brilliant idea yeah because you know it's not like people have died and gone to the hospital because of this thing no not at all so you we only see kevin manis go into the room and he goes in he opens the box which again i think just don't don't touch it don't open it as soon as he does this the lights in the whole museum flicker on and off 
Kevin tells the crew he needs to tell them something important and continues to pace around the room, but he won't sit in the chair. And then he starts reciting some kind of poem or story or mantra, but it's in a completely different voice. Like, it's totally different. And as he's pacing, his voice changes and he just drones on. The crew gets super freaked out. Like, you can see the the people in the, like, viewing I mean, if I was a camera dude, I'd expect Hazard paid for this. Oh, absolutely. Um, And it seems like he's summoning something out of the box because what he's saying is, like, it rhymes and it's just so creepy. And then Cthulhu came out. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Um, So they hear voices after Manus stops speaking. He starts speaking in tongues and standing in the back of the room behind a pole, just swaying back and forth. He he might be possessed at this point. It's just, yeah, it's yikes at this point. Dude, I mean, I really hope that they, like, they gave you good compensation for this. Like, at least, you know, a nice big sandwich for A nice big sandwich. So that's all it takes for you to go touch a haunted object is someone just needs to feed you? Uh... Yeah, I mean, if You're we're talking the bar really high here, JP. I mean, we're talking some good food here or, you know, like a really solid ice cream cookie. Yeah, let's do this thing. What would you do for a Klondike bar? Oh, funny, uh, funny, quick, <laughs> funny, quick tangent. Wait, did you legitimately touch a haunted object for a Klondike bar? No, but during uh, one of my English classes, uh, my teacher asked us to write on a piece of paper what we would cross uh say like two massive skyscrapers over a like tightrope or a bounce beam what we would do to you know what would make us do that complete that task yes and many people said you know their friends their family saving their loved ones you know untold riches okay i put down a klondike bar oh dear lord (laughs) and i was fully serious because i was like hell that just sounds exciting i'd do that in a heartbeat you don't need to entice me i just want to do it for the thrill you are an adventurous soul so i can totally see that yeah he just, I loved though his face. He was just like, a Klondike bar. <laughs> and then I shouted out. Wait, was this in high school? Yeah. I shouted out, a Reese's Klondike bar. Ooh, okay. I agree with you 100% on that. I can't tell you the last time I've had one. Anyway, okay, so let's get back to the Ghost Adventures episode. <laughs> Welcome to Spooky Year, where we talk about the Holocaust, a box, and Klondike bars. Oh, that should be our tagline for the episode. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Goodbye. So, okay. So, so at this point, you know, we talked about um, Kevin Manis is speaking in tongues. He is swaying behind a pole back He's and possessed. forth. He's possessed. Cthulhu is... came out of the box. Yes. Okay. Cthulhu did not come out of the box. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> this just, I don't even know. So. Toot toot. Right off the rails. Yep. So at this point. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> this point um zach so there okay so in the episode there's this little old man who is so precious his name is theodore see i was just picturing theodore on the side whenever the lights flicker and just like smiling and flicking the light switch kind of like nosferatu and spongebob yes so theodore's this tiny little old man he's wearing like a tux with a top hat he's so cute and Zach sends Theodore down to go get Manus, and Theodore just walks in the room, stands there, and just stares at Kevin. And Kevin starts telling the crew that there's wispy manifestations by the furnace out of the camera's view, and he comes up visibly shaken. Of course it's out of the camera's view. Oh, absolutely. They never put, you know, they always just leave one un like unlit spot by the camera oh yeah yeah where that's for just so the ghosts can do their thing i i honestly like really wish that they had a couple cameras in the room maybe there was a reason they couldn't i don't know i'm not a part of the production crew i'm not cool enough but like i I wish we could have seen more the things are spookier that you don't know that is true that is true so um at this point kevin comes up from the basement and he is very clearly shaken uh, I, I do feel for him because, like, he looked shaken. But then the episode takes a fun turn and they take the box to a rabbi and an actual synagogue. A So a spiky haired guy, an owner in a box, walk into a rabbi. Two, two owners. They take uh, both Jason Haxton and Kevin Manis at this point. Okay, so a TV star, a TV star yeah. an owner, a box, yeah. and a rabbi walk into a bar 
And the bartender <laughs> says, oh, hell no. Get out of here. <laughs> oh, my God, JP. So um, they take everything to a synagogue. The rabbi is explaining that the box seems to be possessed with a spirit and that their own souls may have some unfinished business as it has drawn them to the box. As this is going on, Kevin Manis starts to violently cough and he gets very sweaty. Um, Manis keeps apologizing, saying he doesn't know where the cough is coming from, yet he's standing next to the box. And uh, that box specifically, as we you know read with Jason Haxton's uh, account, sometimes when you're around it, you feel as though you're choking. So, yeah, that's like it almost seems like he was experiencing a side effect of being near the box within the synagogue. But it's interesting that he experienced it. But Jason Haxton, Zach Bagans and the rabbi were all fine. I mean, I feel like at this point, Zach Bagans has built up a high tolerance to demonic possessions. High tolerance to ghosties. Yeah. And that, my dear friends, my dear listeners, is your dear brother. My dear brother is the story of the Dybbuk box and its adventure from a wine cabinet brought over uh, by a woman who immigrated to the U.S. all the way to its current home in Zach Bagans Museum in Las Vegas. Oh, wow. Okay, that was one hell of a journey. It's That was a trip with baggage. Yeah, okay. I mean, oof. So... Any final thoughts, man? Yeah, so I was kind of thinking about this through this whole story because... Obviously, I'm looking through it, and I've gone through about the grandmother, Hevelin, kind of the lack of information that we really have about how she came over. Yeah. And I guess kind of thinking through this, it's one of my theories I've kind of started to form the more we thought about the Dybbuk box. I want to hear it. I want to hear your theory. So I'm not actually sure it is a Dybbuk. Really? Yeah. Huh. Uh, Tell me me more. Tell me your reasoning. (laughs) Yes, my dear. (laughs) Well, as you can see, a Dibuk is a evil spirit that yes. is unable to um, move on in the yeah. afterlife because it is so weighed down with sin. Yeah, yeah. Now, okay. one of the interesting things, again, that I've noted is that uh, the spirits are most notorious for possessing humans. Yes. And that they need to cling to another living soul yes. in order to survive. It's like a parasite. Yes. Yeah. So... What about this Dibuk would make it somehow able to just latch on to an inanimate inanimate object? Yeah, I, you know, it is interesting. I mean, we we're going to talk more through this podcast about um, haunted objects because there are quite a few haunted objects out there. Yeah, specifically dolls. A lot of haunted dolls. I mean, but honestly, this is unique. Uh, please tell me one of those dolls is a Care Bear because that stare is haunting. No, but how about a Raggedy Ant doll? That is also a very haunting stare. Yeah, you just okay. wait. But anyway, so I'm kind of beginning to wonder, though, especially because a lot of outside of Kevin Manis, the timeline uh, and journey of this box is kind of unknown. Yeah. And I would honestly... Well, no, Jason Haxton, we know where it was with him. And Sorry. we know where it is now. Sorry, it I'm talking... pre-Kevin oh. Manis. Yeah, I'm talking about pre-Kevin Manis. Yeah. It's very vague. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean... On my personal, I'd be comfortable saying it's at least not a, I don't think it is a Dibuk based on how based it's. Based on your research. Yes, based yeah. on my research and based on how it's outlined and interpreted in uh, different sects of Judaism. Yeah. I would not feel comfortable saying that this is 100% a Dibuk. Based on, yeah, based yes. on what you read. I, you know, it's interesting. Um, I, I wonder if there is a like a, a specific i don't know i guess separation from a, an evil spirit that has the ability to possess an inanimate object versus an evil spirit that is only able to possess a living person yeah so i'm curious like you do raise a really interesting question that i i mean i don't think any of us are going to find an answer to to be no. completely honest with you no i mean we that would probably honestly be another podcast in itself probably, trying to find yeah. Something that can latch on to inanimate objects, or maybe if there's, say, a hist- enough of a history. Yeah. But yeah, I would say, at least from a historical standpoint and based on the faith, this is not a Dibuk. Um, could be just a pure evil spirit. It could be a demonic spirit. It could be an actual demon. It could be Cthulhu. Could be Cthulhu. <laughs> okay. I am having a major brain fart 
Where is that from? Oh, uh, that is from H.P. Uh, Lovecraft, uh, the author and writer of Call of Cthulhu and, and the um, founder of Lovecraftian horror. Oh, okay. You know I what? need to get back into I, I We'll actually have to read and discuss. We will. Yeah, because that is, I really would love, like, there's something about it that is just so horrific and... Uh, something that's so visceral and unnerving about Good Lovecraft. Good use of the word visceral. Yes, and not just because it's smelly fish, and also because Lovecraft was horribly racist. Oh, yikes! Yeah, um, but uh, that's kind of my hot take on it. Okay, um, no, I like your hot take. I, I think you raise a really interesting question. Um, I am super curious as to what our listeners think about it. So yeah, please like, email us. Yeah, right. Email. Um, we'll have to get something soon to get on a conversation board because I'd love to open up a good discussion if you've got more info or you look into the stuff. Yeah. Because this is just – I'm just skimming the surface here. Oh, we are definitely skimming the surface, but we want to hear – We are hear... a pebble on the lake. <laughs> oh we are God. a skimboard on the beach. Two skin boards are fun. We are a water strider on the creek. There it is. We are um, a hover boat that is coming in for landing. And to uh, make sure JP doesn't have to continue with these. Please help me. <laughs> um, please, please, please rate and review us. Tell your friends about us. If you rate and review us, um, more people would be able to see us. Just remember, if you like us, we are Spooky University. Yes. And if you don't like us, we're Scary College. <laughs> mildly frightened high school <laughs> yes well uh that's all i got you got anything else yeah um well just obviously rate and review us email us at spooky podcast at gmail.com and follow us on instagram at spooky podcast and friends we will see you next time class dismissed <laughs>